you know, the psychedelic space is still at a tokenism point where like there are, it's not that there are not that many BIPOC folks, like there are a number of us who are in this space, but it's that our expertise is always wanted in a conversation around race, not in a conversation around our experiences or our expertise, expertise right, in, the, in no. you know, as mycologists and educators and no. psychotherapists no. and researchers, you know, housing something like psychedelic anti-racism flips that paradigm and is like, okay, now you're gonna come to us to learn these things in this space. And that creates less necessity for us to like be talking about this all of the time because we have more allies who are equipped with the language to talk about this in their communities. Welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. Today we speak with Charlotte James and Undria Wright, founders of the Sabina Project, a Black-led platform for psychedelic education, legal ceremonies, and integration. Their mission is to return reverence to sacred earth medicine ways to look to and learn from ancestral practices and to support radical self-transformation in the name of collective liberation. So Charlotte, Dre, it's such a, it's been such a joy to kind of like learn about your, your process and progress here. And I think your own stories about how you came to the work are really enlightening. So I would love to hear some backstory from, from each of you, like who were you 10 years ago? You know, how did you get to today where you have the Sabina project? So who was I 10 years ago? Ooh, um, I was in college 10 years ago uh, and I think really starting to allow my like true inner self to come out. It was still definitely in like a stagnated way, um, but was getting more comfortable expressing myself. I would definitely say um, in part thanks to um, beginning to have more experiences with psychedelics and strengthening my relationship with cannabis but i was a very like high functioning anxious person like super super type a pretty much all of my like value that i assigned myself was external was very much driven by my ability to produce by my ability to like be a good student, be a good friend, be a good daughter, like all these things of these roles that I was trying to fill all the time. And externally, I was like very successful, quote unquote successful in the sense that I like was a really good student and always had good jobs. And um, so for others, it, it seemed strange that I didn't feel that way in my mind, I guess. So that's why I was 10 years ago. I ended up after college, I moved to Bolivia. I lived in a really intentional community where we were working with some sacred earth medicines together. I came back to the US, fell a little bit back into like the lack of intentionality that we frequently find ourselves in, in the Western world uh, and just mindlessness, trying to be productive and work for other people and do all that other stuff. And then a few years ago, I was at a sort of critical point in my relationship with work in my romantic relationships, really questioning a lot about myself. A lot of sort of shadow things were coming up though I didn't have the language for that. And I started therapy, huge lifesaver, super helpful. And then I met Dre and I had my first combo ceremony. And that just really sort of blew the door open for me to step into, start stepping into my power and like reclaiming who I truly am. There have been a lot of other medicines along the way. Mushrooms play a, a huge role in all of that as well, and some other some other allies. But that's like the, the synopsis. So I guess for me, 
I guess my journey started like about 12 years ago. Um, well, yeah, I'd say I, when I was 13, I had this, like, I was in the, remember in the woods, I was in the woods, like, with a, like a, I don't know, a bow and arrow that I made out of like a twig and some rope, some like fishing line. And I, for some reason, I was thought, I thought about like what I want to be when I grow up. And I want to be enlightened, a good husband, and a fantastic father. I was practiced lots of martial arts uh, from like the age of 13. You know, I had black belt in like three different martial arts and, you know, meditated in Buddhism and all that good stuff. And I was 40, fast forward, I'm 40 years old. I'm about to have my first child, my only child, Olivia. And I am working 80 hours a week, miserable, about 100 pounds heavier than I want to be, wearing like a CPAP machine, the dark beta device as I'm sleeping at night. You know, I came from when I was, I went, when I joined, I joined the military, I was in uh, phenomenal shape. You know, I, my job was a job was very difficult, physically challenging. I did some very dangerous things. So I had tremendous amount of discipline, but yet I couldn't get this hundred pounds of stress and abuse and judgment that I had on me off. My 40th birthday, my spouse at the time gave me uh, pop brownies. I was like, wow, this medicine really works well. Before that, like ibuprofen in the military, we had what we called, we called the Ranger candy. It's 800 milligram, Ooh. I would pop like two or three of those anytime I had an ache and pain, right? Totally disconnected with the body. And so anyway, I had pop brownies, had this amazing cathartic experience. And then I was like kind of frustrated and angry, like what? Everything I've been told about drugs was a complete lie. I had, I had been aware enough not to consume alcohol. Like I was kind of like a boy scout. Like, then we got pregnant and the Father's Day of that year, I did mushrooms and I did it outside. It was like, it was, it was back in the day when it was still like a risky thing to do. And they, they sent me, mushrooms they formed it in a chocolate dog biscuit so if someone saw it they would think it was a dog biscuit it was like well it's everywhere right so i eat this mushroom this mushroom plus probably about two grams Last, laid in a hammock my mom and my uh, partner were outside and i just laughed laughed and laughed for, for about you know for about six six to seven hours and i kept saying let it go and every time i let go I was, you know i had some I had some conversations about the relationship I didn't have with my dad, blah, blah, blah. And during that experience, I saw like to the right, the, to the left corner, I saw this green entity. And she says to me, you need to sit with grandmother. And I'm like, what was grandmother? But of course I shared the story with my spouse, who at the time was teaching, <clears throat> she was teaching the herbal medicine program. So one of her students, was considering apprenticing to become a corn data and, and uh, share ayahuasca. So she's telling her the story, what you know, asking for her advice, and she says, "Yes, I sit with grandmother." She said, "Grandmother," and so I knew enough that it, this is not a coincidence that I hear this twice. So obviously, I'm called. So, so I'm like, "Okay, sign me up." By the end of the week, I'm in an ayahuasca ceremony, and it was the first probably three to four hours was really super challenging for me. First of all, I was, I was breaking the law in my mind, schedule one substance, had a security clearance, uh, you know, that's, that's down the toilet, you know, all this stuff. And I wasn't gonna purge. I don't have really think anything wrong with me. All these other people have serious issues, but I don't have any issues. So I'm just gonna go ahead and have an experience. And I got my ass kicked. 
<laughs> you know, blah, blah. and I was so exhausted um, because of this huge ego I had. It was just wasn't that would not surrender. And finally, at some point, I was exhausted, and I was like, I just want to die. And I just I remember laying down, let my head hit the the uh, Thai yoga mat, which I don't know why they're, they're not comfortable, but um, <laughs> but but and then I heard someone across the room purge. And the minute I heard them purge, I said, I said, it's going to be okay, sister. And that level of compassion I had for that person just all of a sudden shifted to me. And I had this tremendous, I went from this suffering, this agony, to being like, <gasps> and just the next four hours, just my eyes were open wide. I'm like, and every question I ever contemplated about the meaning of life, aliens existing, and all that, were all being answered all at the same time. It's just beautiful, like tremendously intense experience. I had a rebirth. I actually remember going back as a sperm and swimming up to the egg and being born and, and all that type of stuff. So completely profound experience. Three weeks later, I was in Peru doing my first dieta and never looked back from that. And then I learned to do combo treatments and that, was, that, that took my health and wellness to the next level, right, of, of experience. And, um, you know, I, from that point, I was like, well, this is, this is my path, you know, to I had a lot of work to do with myself, still working on myself. But also, like, this good news needs to be shared with as many people who wanted to. But I had also been a recovering Abrahamic tradition person. I don't want to be insulting to anybody who might be listening. But so I knew that proselytizing like going, knocking on people's door and telling them the good news was super insulting, right? So I wasn't going to do that. But like I knew if people were attracted to me, attracted to what I had to share with them, that I needed to be prepared to support them in some way. And so I began my, you know, my, my journey, learning to support, heal myself, and then, you know, hold space and help support other people in their healing process. And yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I'll share with this, just with you, my daughter, uh, who's 11 now, watching her being born was the most, was the second most important experience in my life, right? It's profound. I know people like to say their kid was the most important. It wasn't. Because I never would have been the father I am today if I hadn't drank ayahuasca, right? If I hadn't sat with these medicines, I still would be a miserable, angry person projecting all my bullshit onto my child, right? So I think that's my, my evolution to now. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective, both of you. Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about sharing the good news. Tell me about the Sabina Project, what it is and, and what you two do. So the Sabina Project is a Black-led platform for psychedelic education, legal ceremonies, and integration. And our mission is to return reverence to sacred earth medicine ways and to look to and learn from ancestral practices as a form of harm reduction yeah. or modern journeyers. So, you know, we're watching a lot of these medicines, quote unquote, mainstream. There's a lot of um, modern research being done and scientific research being done about how these medicines can help treat depression or anxiety or cure substance abuse issues. And there's a lot of sort of recreating of a wheel that was already set and a foundation that was already set of how we can interact with and work with these medicines mm. in order to heal ourselves and to heal our communities. I think this week recently, there's been some things in the news that really just like highlight, I don't know if you saw this about mm -hmm. Compass Pathways, 
is um, one of these sort of more clinical research based oh, companies. They're, patenting. they're trying to patent soft furniture. They're trying to say that having soft furniture in your in your ceremony, in your clinical space for a mushroom journey or holding a person's hand is something that you could patent as part of the process. <laughs> That's like insulting on so many levels, but also that like our ancestors left us the blueprint of how these medicines can be used in a safe way right. to transform ourselves and to heal our collective and to be in better relationship with ourselves, with each other, with the land, with our spirit, with our mind, all that. So I think we're really trying to like shift the conversation back to that place of looking to these practices that also you can see replicate globally, right? Like, there are medicines that are used, there are certain medicines that are very, very regionally specific, right. specific to certain traditions. There are other medicines that are uh, found in many traditions across the world. Mushrooms is a great example of that. But really just basically human relationship with land and plants and herbs and finding medicine from the earth is something that is common to all peoples um, and has been colonized out of all peoples across the world. So. We're really into this conversation of like all of us reconnecting to our all of us pre-colonial, pre-Abrahamic tradition, hunter-gatherer yeah. Yeah. ways of life. Even, because even pre-agrarian, pre-agrarian, yeah, 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 because yeah. yeah. that's when um, patriarchy and yeah, and patriarchy becomes really just rearing its ugly head. But yeah, all of us re reconnecting to our traditions as a form of harm reduction because shamanism. And animism is a global practice. Right, right. And the compass example is a perfect, a perfect reason why it's so important. The, the why and the how you do these medicines. I'm sure that several of the people in that organization have done mushrooms, right? Right. But there's lots of people who do these medicines, and they do these medicines to fix something about them that they perceive about themselves, right? But kind of like the way the West approaches approaches illness. Oh, you have the symptom, so let's relieve the symptom. But they're missing the other important point is that it's about healing myself so I can heal the rest of the planet, right? So that I could be a greater participant in my tribe, in my community. And that's what our ancestors taught us, right? It wasn't about so you could have an experience. It wasn't like an amusement park ride, right? Or it wasn't because to deal with your drug addiction or your, uh, your anger about something or your trauma and something alone. It was about healing ourselves wholly, become whole, participants in our greater collective yeah. community elders would bring you to those those steps right and stages. right because it was also a rite of passage right, right? it's like right. okay now i'm ready to be a contributing member of this community right. and this society and here is my role and how i'm going to do that absolutely um, but what you just said reminded me of of uh our favorite person that connected us Lauren uh, says this all the time. She's like, without integration, psychedelics are just a roller coaster, an amusement park for the mind. This is exactly and right. like that is, and and we see this right of people just going back and back to the medicine, and back to the medicine, and like I need another experience, I need another experience, and not taking the time to properly prepare, and then properly integrate those journeys so that the insights really turn and the downloads turn into daily action. Right, daily action. Because at the end of the day, I think we're going with this, that ceremony, life is ceremony. Yeah. 
you talk a little bit about like the reactions you've had to your work? Have people found it um, refreshing that there's a Black-led psychedelic uh, kind of collective? And, and what about um, from within the BIPOC community? What have been the reactions to the Sabina Project being around? Actually, before we actually created Sabina Project, we, our first conversation was around we <laughs> having these uh, BIPOC-only circles uh, in ceremony. And I was like, I was like, I was going to teach school this young person about how uh, that's just absolutely inappropriate, right? We're in the transcendent experience. We, we, we transcend all those stories. That's the whole point of doing this. But in integration, for sure, there's a need. And what was really cool about how she handled that conversation was she invited me in very gently. She says, oh, I have two tickets to a psychedelic BIPOC, what was it? It was like People of Color in Psychedelics Conference. Conference, and I went there and I was surrounded by all these beautiful people who were all saying that they felt unsafe in spaces where they were the only person. And that a lot of times they trauma, they were re-traumatized when someone was doing some spiritual bypassing about their, the, the acute trauma or the chronic trauma that they experienced with structural racism uh, and white supremacy, that they, as soon as they come out of ceremony, that the reality is when they get in that car and drive, a police officer could shoot them or, you know, on all the other things, you know, we don't have to go down the laundry list of stuff. And so we realized just how, how valuable that was. And Corona, in many ways, was a blessing for us because we, we were going to do a lot of in-person stuff. This forced us to go to the internet to get our message out, and it's been overwhelming. Like, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like you know, it's it's funny because for me, I had been in the cannabis industry, and I love cannabis. I love, I don't like the industry. I hate the industry, but I love the medicine, right? And for me, cannabis has always been a sacred master plant, and that's the way I approach it. The industry is like it's a commodity. Like in people thirty percent THC, so yeah, 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 fucked exactly. up. Yeah, yeah. like I'm not trying to get fucked up off of weed. Right, right, or for, or for oh, anything. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying. Let's get, let's, let's get more connected, not more disconnected. Yeah, and and so we've had like an over. It's it's been it's like been we wild. stepped into our power. We do. Yeah. We're, we're doing the thing that we love and that we are. Yeah. We, we are uh, like every day. I want to get up and learn about this, and and we've been rewarded by like just. Just, yeah. just love, yeah. just love and appreciation yeah. and connection. And it's just been exciting. Yeah, it's been really beautiful. And, you know, we hold, um, twice a month, we hold free circles, integration circles for BIPOC folks. And that's how we really started. Like, that was the, the first thing that we sort of put out to the yeah. internet. And, like, the response now is insane. They fill every week. And we have people who come back every week. Yeah. And are like really building this little community and then like go off and like build internet friendships like yeah. outside of circle and start working together and collaborating so it's like this whole i mean it's much like the network of mushrooms yes right? it's like mycelium. mycelium right like we answered that call from the medicine right like we we recognized an issue both from our personal experience as journeyers right. as black journeyers um frequently being in white only spaces then going to a space like this conference and having that just resonated with everyone there and just trying to come up with like a simple like low entry solution to that and from there it's just been like yeah yeah but here's here's one thing i'll share with you that we've noticed that's different mm. so 
I, I've been in lots of integration circles before this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm not speaking to any of my tribal members who are listening to I'm not talking about what we did in, in circle, but like just going to other different non-Shipibo style of, of journeying. And what I would notice is people spend a lot of time talking about what they saw. I saw all this cool vision. You mean in, 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 in non-BIPOC integration right. circles. Right, yeah. like a lot about the, what dose did you take? And then they want to talk about the science of it. I'm like, uh, we had, and, we, and it was so wild the other day, um, I did circle uh, on my own and I had like a family thing happen. And um, there was a person who was new to circle right. who clearly most of their experience had right. been in non-BIPOC circles right. because it was this like immediately after we have sort of a group agreements that we make so right. that we keep a safe space for everyone, which are like basic, like right. non-judgmental space step up and step back like all that kind of stuff but one of them that's really important to us is not giving advice right and not interpreting other people's journeys yes. like you use i statements you talk about yourself it's you're not here to like tell people i say this and i go and now the circle is open these are the fit you have to do these things next time you're dirty. and it's going off and like i know because i do these really high doses i do high doses all the time i'm in a really high dose and i was like all right bet. like cool um but like how is uh, staring in the mirror and making mudras until your whole self glows like wh- that sounds dope it does sound pretty right. cool but like what is that how is that benefiting you learning about yourself right. and and like the thing is that it's very possible that there is a an insight and a lesson there right. but if you're distracted by right. the look at me and I can make an orb of light in my hand because I took five tabs of acid you don't get to the point where you're like, okay, and then what does that mean? Oh, I'm like a glowing light of being in this world and I have the power to like bring that light out of me and put it out into the world, right? Right, right. to heal heal Um, yourself and heal the world. Exactly. And that's what we notice that's consistent in our integration circle. People are coming, first of all, almost everybody there is very connected with the conversation about the ancestors. Right, yes. which is also very fascinating. I didn't. I don't remember ever hearing any conversation about ancestral work when I was in these uh, other types of circles. And it's more people like, how do I continue my practice? How do I continue to improve myself? Yeah. These are the lessons that I'm learning. These are the things that I re- these are the habits, beliefs, ideas that I realize no longer serve me, and I'm excited to let go of. And do you guys have any tools, habits, beliefs, or ideas, or people? that I can attract in, that in my life so that I can continue my journey mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. let go of that story and continue to do Because for most of us as BIPOC, what, what, you know, as a BIPOC person, you never really see yourself as an autonomous being, right? Yeah. What you're, whatever you're doing, you're representing your tribe or your culture, right? Which is inter- interesting, like... Um, at least your family. Yeah, you're, at least your family. But there's very strong, there's very strong, like, because most people who are BIPOC mistakenly do a lot of comparisons, right, to uh, white, the white culture, right? It, you know, you'll hear things like, oh, he's the... Black James Bond. Yeah, he's, a, yeah, he's a black James Bond or, the, the, you know, those types of things. So we're always comparing ourselves to, you know, a, 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 essentially a reality that's pretty oppressive. But when you get into these circles, people are more about connecting with their ancestors and healing their trauma, their ancestral trauma, so that we can also be a greater participant mm-hmm. in the community. And it's a much easier conversation. Um, yeah. Time. yeah, yeah. as you're saying that, I feel like 
part of it is that you also can just show up as your authentic self. Like there's no code switching in circle. In our circle. Oh like, yeah. You come as you are. But he may not even explain what you mean by code you know, switching. Do you know what yeah, I mean by code switching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be um, helpful to listeners to be explicit about what, what is code switching? So code switching is having different aspects of yourself that you use in different areas of life to be <laughs> more accepted. The, the easiest, the easiest example, example is language. That, yeah. So when I greet most people, I don't do this anymore, but when I was in corporate America, I see uh, a person of color, hey, what's going on? Give him a hug, what's up, little pal? When I'm, when I'm around folks that are non-bipartisan, hi, how are you? <laughs> Pleasure to meet you, right? Right? Because I need to, I need to conform. Oh, <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie, the amazing example of this, and also just a weird ass movie, is um, "Sorry to Bother You" with Lakeith Stanfield. Oh yeah, where That's he is movie. like he is a telemarketer, and yes. his special skill is that he has an amazing white person voice. <laughs> So he like gets on the phone, he's like, hey, how you doing? I can tell you anything, you know? And, and the reason, like we're laughing about it now, but the reason that you do that is because of respectability, respectability politics, which is this idea that like showing up in a certain way, wearing certain clothing, having your hair in a certain style, um, typically non-natural style, um, speaking in a certain way will make it easier for you to be believed, to be valued, to be seen as legitimate, especially in a professional setting. And so in circle, and then the other thing that's happening a lot in the psychedelic space is like this tokenism thing mm -hmm. where you'll have predominantly non-BIPOC spaces and then one or two BIPOC that are then, like Dre is saying, meant to somehow represent all BIPOC people. Right. And that adds a lot of pressure in how you communicate and uh, how you express yourself. So I like to call our, the nickname I give in our circles is the psychedelic kiki. Cause you just come and like, it is about healing, but we have a good ass time also. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my favorite is that this happened on Sunday as well. That was really beautiful was somebody in the community was like, I came to, I've been coming to circle. Then I came to your masterclass about building an intentional relationship with sacred earth medicine. And then I applied everything that you taught and talked about in that masterclass to my next journey. And I had the most profound experience I've oh. ever had where they're like literally working through ancestral trauma and have the tools to like do that profound work. And I was just like, it's happening. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is well, like, this yeah. is what we're trying to do. Ab know? Absolutely. And thank goodness we have this podcast so that I can get some of that <laughs> gratification too, you know? <laughs> You asked about the response. There's like a little bit of the spiritual bypassing piece that comes through that we get the trolls who are like, race isn't a thing. How are you making, like bringing race into psychedelics? That's racist of you. Mm. Um, if you stop thinking about it and talking about it and putting power to it, it won't be true anymore. And that's much rarer, thankfully, but we know that that's not an uncommon mm -hmm. belief or perspective oh, yeah. in this space. And which is extraordinary, right? That people, I think this is so, this is why, why it's so important that when people do these medicines that they're given like guidance from elders, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's, can you imagine any other trauma that a person experiences and a person says to them, 
Yeah, I know you were raped. Just get over that rape, rape. and then you know. It, and you stop talking about your sexual assault. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it didn't happen. You're like that's, that's right. not how that works. And we're definitely of the perspective that words are power. Oh, absolutely. Your poison. The reality, though, is that when we come out of ceremony, when we come out of these expanded um, states of consciousness, we live under literal structures and systems that have been created to oppress us and to make our ability to take all of these downloads and turn them into daily action and change all these things. Like we are about personal responsibility. Absolutely. But it's also like within understanding the history and structures and the systems of if we were in, I don't know, Folsom prison, right? Like the psychedelics, right? I still have to worry about- You're still I, in prison. Yeah, I still have to worry about getting raped by one of the guys or shanked if I say something to the wrong person or look at the wrong person. That's still a reality in my, in my environment. You can't say, well- it's Just meditate it out. Just meditate and hug the person, right? Right. <laughs> and stabbing you. Yeah. It work that way, right? We, we need to start to really look at even how we talk about these medicines. Mm-hmm. Um, even using the word psychedelic, which was coined- Yeah, it was like in the, in 56. I think the reason, like, I feel like people know what you're talking about when you say psychedelics, but I always try to be like psychedelics and then immediately follow it with sacred earth medicine because that's what we're actually talking about. It's also really beautiful to learn about part of this journey is like learning more about yourself and about your lineage and the traditions that you come from and are there traditions that you connect with from your lineage that you want to bring into ceremony and into the evolution of ceremony. Mm-hmm. And then the other important question is around questions of sustainability yes. and reciprocity. So if you are choosing to travel, to work with a guide, to work with a facilitator, a shaman, whatever, um, thinking about like, where is it that they source their medicine from? Are they a true steward of the medicine and that they are working to support the sustainability and thinking about the sustainability and then in terms of reciprocity, so for us, that looks like our mutual ceremony fund where folks are able to donate, but we also commit a portion of our proceeds back into essentially a scholarship fund that supports BIPOC journeyers who are sitting in ceremony and can't afford it because we know this is you know a, a big issue around accessibility. Right. Um, and it also allows us to not, money becomes not a barrier in us supporting people because there's this like weird rhetoric where people expect um, healers or like spiritual supporters, people to like also be martyrs and not charge for or, no. or make a living from the work, the very hard work that we're doing to support other humans. No. So that's definitely a problematic rhetoric. But like, we don't want to turn anyone away. No one should be, money should never be a barrier to healing or to gaining knowledge. And so having something like a mutual ceremony fund allows us to, to do that and support people at many different stages of their healing journey. Yeah, yeah. And also, just to circle back around, I, I don't want to give this impression that if a person does mushrooms for fun or consumes cannabis for fun, that we're judging them no. as being bad. Like, because again, I don't, necessarily believe you chose that path. I think that maybe the medicine called you. So if you are depressed and you get your dopamine and serotonin levels, receptor sites are full and you feel good about yourself, that's healing, right? And that healing causes you, that that recreational experience may lead you to asking a different question or a better question about yourself. What we're saying is, 
is that there were some structures that have been in place for millennia that if you add these structures that you'll have a deeper, you'll have a deeper, smoother path to healing yourself so that joy is something that you experience all the time, not just in ceremony, not just when you're in meditation, but like your, your walk is meditative, your life is meditative, your life is, not that just it's always perfect, right? There's always, there's, there's always struggles, right? But even how you react to those, those traumas uh, will be more informed and will create additional trauma. On, the, on the, the question of sacred earth medicines, I think it might be um, helpful to the listener to kind of just get a clear picture of the, the services that you offer. I'd love to hear a little bit about like combo is on the table and hape. Those are both tools that have been there a little bit less known within the, the psychedelic framework. So I'd love to hear about those a bit. Well, it's interesting for us, you know, being a BIPOC organization, one of the, one of the things we know for sure is that consequences for breaking the law for people of color are significantly more severe, right? So when we, when we put ourselves out there, we were under no disillusion. I, so many people could go around talking about, uh, I, I sell sports online. Those people are in a protected class. We are not. So for, right? so for us, the reality is that we need to talk about ceremonies that are currently legal in the United States, right? And those are high-paying combo. Um, I'll, you, you can speak about high-paying yeah, yeah, yeah. combo. So combo is one of my favorite medicines because it comes from the Medusa bicolor. Did I tell you right? Phila Medusa bicolor, the green tree monkey frog, right? Um, and actually, this frog was... Um, this medicine was discovered by a shaman who was in an ayahuasca ceremony. He was trying to figure out how to heal his community of a pandemic, and he saw a vision of the frog and was given guidance on how to use this medicine. Um, the science behind it, it has, you know, the highest concentration of peptides uh, that, that are known. And, you know, the, just the, the easy translation, think of anti-inflammatories, right? Inflammation is what causes disease. The, the most effective way to get rid of disease is to is to reduce inflammation in your in your body. Now, inflammation comes in many different forms. If you fasted for seven days, you would have a, a, a reset. But that's something that most of us are not going to be compliant unless we're in the jungle fasting, right? Where it, when I was doing my my fast, it was easy because the other choice was to have boiled cassava, and that would just piss me off. So I was like, I'm just not going to eat, right? But also doing combo treatment is a great way to do a reset. And within 40 minutes, you've gotten all those cytokine cells out of your body. You flushed all those zombie cells out of your body. You've reduced all that inflammation. The trauma, the trauma that you've been holding on to from that traumatic experience that happened, that's, that's stored into your body, into your body, is removed, right? And now you that 40-pound weight vest that you've been carrying around unbeknownst to you, is now off you, right? So now it's, it, what's also really cool about combo is that if you do the, in the 28 day lunar cycle, you do three treatments, what you also see is that for about six weeks after that treatment, you see a gradual improvement that gets to a plateau that lasts for about two years, like 18 months to two years. I'm talking colds, illnesses, like most of that stuff, like I, I haven't had a sniffle in, uh, I don't know, I, don't, it's, I can't remember the last time I've had like a, a, an illness. Like if you're concerned about COVID-19 and, and building and supporting your immune system, one, a great way to do that 
would again, if you want to fast for seven days on just water, go for it. Or you can do combo treatment um, and, 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 do, and get that done in 40 minutes. Not, and it's not a shortcut, right? I'm not, I'm not pronouncing it as a shortcut. I'm just saying that this is a very valuable treatment. And so we're really excited to, to support folks with that, with that medicine. I did, I did combo and it's not like mental. There's no visions or anything like that really. Just starting right. deep waves of sadness coming along with the purging and then like this. Right. A journey of sickness that didn't last too long, and then I took a sweet nap. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes, yes, yeah. It's like we call purging getting well. I mean, like purging is something I'm excited about, right? Because it means you're getting out. You're getting out that trauma, right? That uh, panema, right? You're getting all that disease, and you know, your dopamine and serotonin receptors are also full, filled, filled to the to their limit when you take combo. So. One of the reasons why you feel fantastic is because your dopamine, you feel good, and your serotonin are full, right? So it's, it's one of my favorite medicines to, mm -hmm. to, to share with people. Um, and then high pay, share a little bit about high pay. Yeah, yeah so high pay is uh, also called rape, and it is a shamanic tobacco medicine mm -hmm. that is applied uh, in the nose using a medicine tool called a curipe. Mm -hmm. And what's really beautiful about this, there's a couple things that are really beautiful about this medicine. Um, one, it's amazing for realigning the chakras, grounding you, um, helping clear the monkey mind out, really like sort of lifting the fog of daily modern life so that you can really get more in touch with yourself, your intuition, and start really trusting that voice. Um, it's also a medicine that you can begin to build a sacred practice with on your own. And so what we notice also is that a lot of folks who come to us, um, they just have a lot of like basic questions about even like what are the medicines that there are to but, work with? How yeah. do you build a how do you build a medicine practice into your daily rituals what's an right? altar what's an altar really so just like the baseline so we're able to share rape medicine we're able to um, hold virtual ceremonies which yep. we do every solstice and equinox and we send people a medicine package with their first curipe and a small bottle of rape and we come together on zoom and and they get a bunch of resources around how you can build your practice, how you blow the medicine, yep. the amount of medicine you should be using, like all those sort of basics. We come together, they can ask questions. We all administer together. We listen to a sound bath. Um, we do a guided meditation. And we have some time for integration. So people are able to share what it was like to sit in this type of ceremony for the first time, even if it is virtual. And that has been a really beautiful way to be able to share medicine. Um, rape is also technically not a quote-unquote psychedelic. And so, excuse me, you could like sit with rape in the morning and then give yourself a good chunk of meditation time, but then go off and like work. Right, I mean, right? even, even before a speech? Even before a speech versus another medicine that right. like, you're gonna be like in journey space all the right. time, or you right. might need to purge yeah. a bunch later. You can purge yeah. from rape, but um, it's got. It's kind of like it's, you're dipping your toe yeah. into the red road. This path is yeah. by you know. It's a great grandfather welcomes you into the path. Mm -hmm. Grandpa can be stern too if you don't pay attention. Yeah. But like it's a, it's your first diet, and you know when we're for those people who are interested in shamanism or healing, most traditions 
well, let me just say the traditions that I'm aware of. North and South American traditions. Right, re require you to do dieta, uh, where, where you actually do dieting and fasting with medicine, you, with a master plant like ayahuasca, but then you do like chirixanango, um, Ajo Sancha, Bobansana, right? And you learn those songs, those medicine songs, those, the energy of that song, of that, of that plant, right? That medicine, so that in, when you're singing your Icaros, you, you, can actually, you can actually invoke those medicines in, right? So, you know, it's, a, it's I think, a really beautiful path, right, to, to do that. But it's also very challenging. It's like, it is. It requires a lot. Yeah, and, and Rappé is that, um, it's like, a, it's a little bit of discomfort, what? but it's not like, hours long you're not purging it's like a little bit of, so you you start to learn to also sit in that discomfort and yeah. breathe through it yeah. um, great for anxiety great for yeah. depression clearing clearing the monkey mind that monkey mind that, that loud monkey mind really calming that monkey mind down so that you can really sit in your power right as a practitioner to calcifying your pineal gland balancing those chakras Really, really beautiful medicine for, for really getting you ready for ceremony. Like, uh, you know, before your ayah, before you sit with grandma, grandpa, all these medicines, it, it works really well with um, those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there a distinctly African psychedelic tradition? Yeah, Iboga. Yeah, Iboga from the Iboga. Iboga. Acacia also. Acacia also is a uh, high concentration of DMT that comes from that, that part of the world. But I think, you know, my fan favorite is Iboga. Mm -hmm. grass grandfather medicine and evoke is a root um, that comes from a bush and you ingest the wood and <laughs> the magical elixir called Fanta uh, it's a <laughs> long story but um, <laughs> I think it's so funny you in like <laughs> in the middle of a bush and you're in Fanta um, you're like where, where did they get this from but, um, but yeah it's very powerful medicine for getting you deeply connected and rooted with your ancestors yeah very powerful medicine. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking There's, about all the things I saw in my last Iboga ceremony. It was just incredible. The visuals are really beautiful. And it was such a powerful lesson to be surrounded by my ancestors mm -hmm. um, in ceremony. Um, yeah. My spirit guides, yeah. And there's also uh, a lot of evidence of mushrooms. Oh, mushrooms, mushrooms yeah, in, oh, of course. In Africa. That's yeah. our first, that's probably the first thing that human, all exactly. human homo sapiens would say. So there's like a history of um, much there's mushroom traditions in Africa and then I've learned this recently that if you go back further far enough in history that you can see somebody synthesized this lesson for me once they said it like this I was like oh yeah this is so true there were melanated pygmy people across the globe yeah uh, that were most likely working with mushroom traditions that may have come out of Africa yeah but also let me just say on, on that one uh, look, at, at the end of the day, we're homo sapiens. Some of us have maybe 4% of our DNA there in Neanderthal. All homo, we all came from Africa, right? We're all part of the same, same tribe. These are all our traditions. When we migrated to different locations, maybe we didn't have acacia. Right. We had this. And, and what shamans did all over the world is they would put something in their mouth. If it didn't kill them, they put it in their mouth again, and they figure out what that effect was, and they use that effect to support healing others in the tribe. This is just what we did. And then you would bump into another shaman, and you say, hey, I use this medicine. Check, try this out for this. Oh, well, I use this medicine for this. And we would share and exchange 
information. And this is how we grew it. But what's interesting, if you look at pre-agrarian cultures all around the world before we started actually farming, very similar. Animism was our traditions. We had a deep connection, reverence, and respect for the land and all the things around us, right? We, 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 we connected with and prayed and worshiped with. And that's really consistent. Like if you look at Lakota chants, um, the chanting, very similar to Celtic um, or, or um, um, Viking chants. If you look at like uh, the Dogon, I mean, the, not the Dogon, but the Pygmy, very similar to how the Shipibo interact with their medicine practices. Uh, you see these similarities all, all around the world. As I listen to you, to you guys more and more, it, it becomes kind of clear to me that a lot of what you're doing is education. And I wanted to ask you, you know, like, what are the, what are the greatest challenges for you in terms of like the anti-racist education that you're, that you're bringing forward? Is there any resistance or is there any, um, yeah, what, what are the greatest challenges for you? Hmm. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really beautiful about doing that type of work is that who we attract into our, like, inner circle, like, the people that are really showing up to do the learning and sit in community are down with challenging themselves uh, and right. sort of questioning their privileges, their roles in society, what they're willing to let go of to move us all towards a more sort of equitable space. Mm. You know, I said earlier, like, we get the occasional troll, and they really all come. It's it's really not a diverse message from the trolls. In yeah. fact, they're really on the same <laughs> toxic positivity, spiritual bypassing tip. Toxic positivity, uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, toxic positivity, spiritual bypassing. You're like, what is this? Um, but, like, yeah, the people who really, who really, like, ride for us, I would say, are... are Dope people who are open to just question everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Well, it's interesting yeah. too because, like, okay, so this question of comfort, right? Right? I, typically, people of color have had to endure a lot of discomfort. Yeah, we're, not that, we're not that concerned with discomfort. Yeah, so they were like, okay, like, yeah. Well, I'm going to throw up in a bucket for 15 minutes sounds better than, like, I don't know, walking through the world as a black woman. <laughs> so I was like, school. No problem. Fine, yeah, right. burn me. I don't right, care. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, and I think that's, like, why we ask these questions in the psychedelic anti-racism of, like, mm -hmm what are you willing to sacrifice? Like, are you willing to sacrifice your comfort in order to dismantle white supremacy? Mm -hmm. And the people that come to our workshops would say yes. A lot of people are not at that point yet. Mm -hmm. um, or they don't think that's necessary uh, to experience discomfort. But I don't know. I mean, a lot of the motivation behind creating that offering and creating things like Afro-Psychedelia is that frequently... You know, the psychedelic space, I would say, is still at a tokenism point where, like, there are, it's not that there are not that many BIPOC folks, like, there are a number of us who are in this space, but it's that our expertise is always wanted in a conversation around race, not in a conversation around just our experiences oh, and expertise, our expertise right, in, the, in well. you know, as mycologists and educators and well. psychotherapists well. and researchers. And so... You know, housing something like psychedelic anti-racism flips that paradigm and is like, okay, now you're going to come to us to learn these things in this space. And that creates less necessity for us to like be talking about this all of the time because we have more allies who are equipped with the language to 
like talk about this in their communities. And Afropsychedelia is, again, just an opportunity for like black folks across the diaspora who are working with these medicines to heal themselves and, and liberate their communities are talking about just that and, and the work that they're doing and not about what it's like to be black and do journey work. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, that, that's for me what comes up narrative. For me, my biggest challenge is that I think for a long time, one of the things that really, one of the biggest challenges for me initially was living in Baltimore, where we have John Hopkins. Everyone is talking about John Hopkins and research with, with psilocybin as if they discovered something, right? Um, and no deference to all our ancestors have been using this medicines in, in a very safe and healthy way. And, you know, also big lift up to uh, Terrence McKenna and Timothy Leary, appreciate all these human beings. I even appreciate Michael Pollan and, you know, a guy who had like a very limited experience, writes a book and all of a sudden now people want to hear, I mean, this is like, okay, crazy. Like how about all the, all the shamans who spent 30, 40 years of their life Shouldn't you, you know, shouldn't you step up with your access to, to, to you know, our ears, but then bring forth one of these, prof these healers, really experienced healers to give their opinion about that? And shouldn't that be as, at least as valuable as what some a neophyte has to say about psychedelics or uh, sacred plant animal medicines? So our, my biggest challenge is getting, is shifting, there's been so much Western conversation, the narrative from the Western perspective is shifting our perspective to stop saying things like tripping, but we're journeying ceremony. You know, stop, stop talking about, stop using language that suggests that these medicines are for you to use as in a commodity perspective versus you're in relationship with these medicines and, and, and the rest of the world and having you and, and having individual responsibility for all of us, right, in your, in your journey work. Um, I think that's my biggest challenge is getting people to see that, but even also, even in the BIPOC community, because what we don't wanna do is, in the 3D reality, we are, all of us are dealing with whatever our trauma is, right? But we don't wanna make that the narrative. At, ultimately, what we're doing as homo, homo, homo sapiens is getting ourselves connected with this planet, right? And becoming greater participants in this planet, all of us. Right. Um, you know, so I, I get I get concerned when we spend lots of in, too much energy sometimes in the calling out of other people instead of looking self-reflecting in or what we could do in the cultural and the choosing or deciding that, you know, we know what's best for someone else versus giving people the freedom to figure shit out on their own. Right. This is that's another thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of I hear a lot of risk and danger conversations from the scientific community, which seems to me is like an ego, right? I, of course, we want to keep it a risk and danger and then say, oh, you need to be a licensed therapist in order to share these medicines with these people. Yet our indigenous ancestors have been doing these safely for, I don't know, forever. Right. right, or that you could like do a two-year program, never had had a psychedelic experience and then be administering Oh yeah, that's a, that's super problem. So like yeah, this. yeah, yeah. Not actually using the medicines, but you're supporting other people in their journeys. That to me seems problematic. I want to touch in on um, on, on a question about about Biden being the president. So he comes in with this really progressive social justice agenda, but at the same time, 
He was also the principal author of the Crime Bill of 1994, which is part of this Democrats tough on crime thing that Bill Clinton kind of jumped all over. And the black community, yeah. for the most part, paid the bill. I'd love to hear any right. of your thoughts about racial equality when it comes to policy. Yeah, so it's interesting because um, I was in the cannabis industry, still am. When, uh, when we got a law passed in Maryland, one of the re reasons we were able to get a law uh, in two years, a decriminal medical bill passed in Maryland, because we had the ACLU do a report that showed that African-American men uh, in Maryland had a 900% more likely chance of being arrested for simple possession of cannabis in a state where we actually use and sell it at a lower rate than white men. So that was embarrassing to the state, and we were able to get a decrim and a medical bill passed. But then what happened was, uh, what you see, the numbers in, in cannabis, you have 99% uh, of the people who own and control the industry are white men. So not, not white men and women, just white men control the entire 1% of the population it, that, 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 that's black folks, Asian folks, men and women are, are, are what's left over. And what we don't wanna have, we know that in Oregon, we just had a bill passed in Oregon and they're trying to implement that. What we want is equity and equality in, in, that, in that legislation. So we're already on, on the ground making sure that, because we know what happens is states just copy other states, right? And that abuse will travel. What we don't want is, yeah, and, we very, and we see this now, the cannabis industry is encroaching on, on, the, on the mushroom industry and they basically want to create another commodity, right? And what happens, one of the biggest problems with that commodity is that people are focusing on THC or CBD, right? Well, there's 66 different cannabinoids that we know about that are all efficacious and beneficial. And cannabis doesn't really work well when you try to isolate, right? It works well the whole plant, the entourage effect of cannabis, the smell, the taste, and also all the cannabinoids. So we don't want to have that. And we also don't want to have uh, the people who paid the bill for the war on drugs are the people who are left out of owning, cultivating, growing this, or even access to the medicine. Because you know, in many states where you have a medical program, it costs you like 200 bucks for a doctor's visit. So you have to be privileged to afford that, right? Because it does not cover by insurance. And then you have to pay, you know, for expensive medicine. Probably cleaner, safer, for sure. Like, you know, the underground, let's be honest about underground. Uh, cannabis growing, they were using all kinds of pesticides, heavy metals, wasn't probably healthy for most people to consume their medicine. So at least on the medical program, they're testing the medicine. I appreciate that. But there's so many people who have been left out and we don't want to have that same experience with it. Also, in the, in, for people of color, we're also a challenge because, you know, you know, if we if we left it in the hands mushrooms in the hand of psychedelic therapists, uh, people of color don't have as much access to therapy, right? We're not as comfortable with going to someone who doesn't look like us, <laughs> right? Who doesn't understand our experience um, and being vulnerable with them, right? We've been we've been raised in an environment where being trusting and open and vulnerable to people who don't look like us oftentimes causes a significant amount of harm, right? So we want to make sure that we have the more accessibility to everyone as we begin to legalize and make all these medicines accessible um, to, to the community. Yeah. I mean, if we look at like arrests and sentencing around quote unquote drugs, BIPOC folks are not typically being arrested for psychedelics. No. Um, though we are always arrested at a higher rate 
Right. But it's just, it's not as common because it's not as common in our community. So, like, these conversations around policy, I think, are important. And at the same time, I don't feel like, obviously, we understand how we need to maneuver with the Sabina project in order to keep ourselves and our community safe. This is loops back on a conversation around Combo and Rape and working very clearly with legal medicines. And also, we don't really feel like law is going, policy is like needed in order for us to work with these medicines to support our communities. Like we see it happening on the underground. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the concern is like, we want to fill that gap of like helping educate people so they stay safe as they're engaging in these practices, Mm -hmm. even when they are not legal. So they can't just like show up in a therapist's office or call a doctor if they're having an issue. Yeah, I I heard a really cool, cool story recently from um, a, a, a brother, he said that he, he lives in an impoverished neighborhood and he used to hustle for a living, sell drugs. So now he shares microdoses and, and he just gives them out to people. And he said um, the community that he was in, it's like people that you know do lots of other heavy drugs. So you hand them a new drug, they'll just do it. So he gave them uh, microdoses of mushrooms. I'm not advocating this, by the way. Yeah, don't do this, but... This is a beautiful story. But here's what, here's what he found. He said, he gave this to people, and then the next time he saw them, they're like, what was that you gave me? Like, and they were explaining that they stopped. They had been doing, using less of the heroin, yes, less cocaine, because they had experience. And I was like, and when he was telling me this, I'm so into this conversation that I just assume everybody knows about mushrooms, right? But I realized in many communities, in pop, they have no idea that this medicine exists. So then he tells me, that he gets a call from someone who they had given a microdose to, gave them, they, they took the microdose, and that day they had been shot in the belly, right? So they drive themselves to the hospital. When they get to the hospital, their stomach, they pass out, they get them and they wake up, and the doctor, he, he says, the guy called me, he says, what? He says, the doctor said, this, this thing right here saved my life. He said, because he wasn't bleeding. He, he wasn't bleeding from the gunshot wound. And the doctor said that the psilocybin that he had in, system is what saved him from from dying from that gunshot wound he was like blown away by this right so just think of just uh, there's so many and i didn't even think when he was talking to me about microdosing i I was assuming this was someone you know privileged person that was talking about because that's all i'm usually talking about this is someone in in a you know disconnected community who is using these medicine and seeing these amazing results in the people around them so I'm just so excited about like when I hear yeah. stories like that. People, even now, people in disconnected communities are like, "Oh, you know what? What's this psilocybin thing?" And we're not trying to get stoned on it. We just want microdose of this medicine to help us make better decisions and not be so angry and depressed about our experience. So I just the applications are really exciting. Yeah. yeah, I love that. So just a couple more questions. The first thing, let's uh, let's handle this. How can listeners of this podcast get uh, connected to you and get involved in the work that the Sabina Project is, is doing? So you can visit us online at thesabinaproject.com and you can also follow us on social media at the Sabina Project. Um, we hold monthly master classes, uh, special events, virtual rapé ceremonies, we do one-on-one integration, mm-hmm. and uh, combo ceremonies, of course. And then I think what's most important probably to highlight is our mutual ceremony fund, mm-hmm. which folks are able to donate to. 
And then we um, are able to allocate uh, scholarships, partial scholarships to folks who um, may want to sit in ceremony with us or even folks who are sitting in legal ceremonies in other places in the country yeah. and just need some of that financial support to be able to get them, get them to, yeah. to We'd us. love to help you with ayahuasca, but we just can't help you with that. That'd be dope, but we can't. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying to make this legacy work, so right. trying to stay out of jail. <laughs> okay. All right. So kind of just as a, as a way to, to close this conversation, one thing that, that really inspires me about you too is that you're being and embodying this change that you wish to see in the world. It's, um, I don't know, it's like you figured out how to do the magical thing called manifesting. We all talk about, dream about. So I just want to post to you, like, how did you do this? How can we catch some of your momentum and seize on our dreams for being the pe- person that we really want to be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have this as part of my like bio on our site that I always knew that I needed to do community-based heart-driven work. Mm. But my approach to work and to life in general led me to a really, really fast burnout. I was doing harm reduction work on the street level with like the opioid pandemic and really working with these medicines in an intentional way has given me the mental space and the spiritual space and clarity to be able to do this work and commit to this to this level of community building and i think maintaining those practices those rituals and maintaining my relationships with these allies is what sustains me and, and makes me able to yeah. to do this work it's I don't know I, I, there's so many aspects like I'm far less afraid of the idea of failure quote-unquote failure yeah. um, or what it looks like to outsiders to quote-unquote fail it's just like all of this and uh, working with psilocybin has unlocked an immense amount of creativity that I had yeah. Yeah. allowed to become dormant so I think it's it's the medicine like working with the medicine in a respectful yeah. and intentional way yeah. Yeah. makes me capable of showing up to do this work in community. Yeah, for me- Because it is exhausting. Yeah, it, it, can, <laughs> it can be. Well, for me, it comes in a couple of ways. Um, the first thing is that um, I don't believe that I am the genius. I believe yeah. the, 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 the genius comes through me. Like this yeah, is, yeah, yeah. I'm not really doing anything. I am just, a, I surrendered to be a vessel. So allow these medicines yes. to do their work through me, right? Um, spirit on spirit so I think that's really important. It is important to like, you know, to get, we need to get out of our own way, like, and believe in like, we are, cause I see a lot of people like have, they think they know more than the medicine, <laughs> right? right? And then I don't, I think these medicines, again, these, at my, when I say my prayers, I always talk to my spirit guys, my allies, my teachers, you know, my relatives and my ancestors, like, and they are informing and guiding the process. Mm-hmm. I'm just getting, I'm just doing a good a job to be thoughtful and respectful enough so that they can do the work. And that's been the manifestation. And then the other thing is like, I think people should do work that makes their heart sing. Mm-hmm. The work that makes you if, you, if you're excited and it turns you on, you can't wait to, to read another book or a lecture or listen to another podcast. And so, so you're like totally fired up and that wets your, but you get your juices flowing every morning, like that's the thing you want to do. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the primary needs, 
will, will come. Now, look, we live in the privilege of America, where I can say this. There are places in the world like Afghanistan, where you know people are being attacked by American soldiers who are clearing their house. That's not their reality. I live in this very privileged, privileged place, and I and that's the other thing I, I acknowledge how privileged I am that for some reason these medicines thought that I was worthy enough mm -hmm. to allow them to even work with me, right? Mm -hmm. So getting humble and respectful and doing con and constant, constant work on cleaning, cleaning, cleaning myself, not by doing lots of medicine. Because mm -hmm. um, I, that's the, I don't, me personally, you know, there, were, uh, there was a time where I did medicine, lots of medicines to, to, to clean, 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 clean. But now it's really about like, living embodying those lessons like I, I feel responsible for to be an example mm -hmm. you know if, if someone knows that i do psychedelics and they see me acting like a fool that might encourage them to do oh i, I definitely don't want that you know uh, so there's a tremendous responsibility i have to be you know uh an example for to 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 how this medicine work to really mm -hmm. live it um I think that's kind of kind of yeah, yeah. For, for me. And then what happens is you attract all these beautiful humans who will support you and support you, guiding you to your process. Like this conversation I'm having with you now, right now is maybe beneficial for everybody else out there, but it's certainly beneficial for me. I'm reminding myself in, the, in this present moment about all the things I need to continue to do mm -hmm. to be, you know, the best human I can. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I would say my favorite book that I, I want to recommend to everyone and uh, the four agreements right now, when I mention the four agreements, there's always someone say, Oh yeah, I read the four agreements like 20 years ago. Yeah. Look, and I had a friend tell me the other day, it's not about reading like 50 books on consciousness. You just need to read one book 50 times a year. Right. It's like, it's a practice of doing these medicines. Right. So be, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personal. Don't make any assumptions and do your best, your best daily. I think it's, it's a constant mantra that I'm constantly telling myself over and over again, a few rules and repeat them over and over again. And that promotes change. You know, repetition is the mother of change. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I also really enjoyed reading, um, thick non pot has, yeah, yeah. he has those like, I'm sure I'm butchering that. But he has these like really short little books. There's one that's like how to love, and yeah. there's how to eat, and yeah. like how to pray. Yeah. And I really enjoy those. You can kind of pick them up and like open to any part in the yeah. book, and it's gonna have something that like speaks to you, sort mm -hmm. of, and really simplifies those things. I think we so much of our inclination as modern humans is to complicate, to overcomplicate, yeah. and really just taking it down to the simplicity of those four agreements to the simplicity of sitting down to a meal and imagining all of the work that went into all of those things being grown and harvested so that it could land on your plate, all of the resources that went into it, just that like that mindfulness, that reminder of mindfulness and simplicity and humility is, yeah. is so important and consistency. I read this the other day and mm -hmm. I was thinking about it, like try doing something that you love for six months and see what happens. Just like do it every day, whether it's you meditate, whether you pray, whether it's you really want to build your social media following right. to share your message and you post every day, whatever it is, like taking that, making that commitment, like making the commitment to consistency, that's where that magic 
starts yeah. to come through. Yeah. I mean, even something as simple as like drinking water. Um, yeah. My favorite meditation is every morning when I wake up, I drink uh, a large glass of water. And I recognize that that act, that simple act of drinking water is an act of love. Every sip is an act of love for myself. I'm in, you start your day saying, I love you. You're so amazing. You're so beautiful. And you deserve to be nurtured, right? Simple as that, right? You know, get, get in touch with Lord. So water meditation, like, is a, is a, I think is what's really helped me out too. Did you just name mm -hmm. it? Did you just name it now? So yeah, water meditation. <laughs> <laughs> That's so beautiful. We're going to pass up. If you wake up in the morning and drink 16 ounces of water, that is the Sabina Project way. You better get me my royalties on my invoice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Charlotte and Dre, thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom and, and passion and power. Yeah, I just so appreciate you both taking the time out to, to talk with us. Yeah, please. Yeah, Ashe, Aho, Basi. Basi. Thanks for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Michelle Broderick, Michelle McCrary, and Terry Gilby. Our music is by Nico Holliman. <laughs>